three, two, one. Hello, and welcome to There Will Be Bugs, an insect podcast created to enlighten listeners about the surprising world of entomology. I am one of your hosts, Ben. And I am the other host, Zilla. And today we're going to be discussing scales, if you haven't already figured that out by the title of this podcast. Uh, it's not reading titles. <laughs> it's been a while since we've recorded. Yeah, we did a bunch of Halloweeny stuff all at once. Yeah, and then I had an interview with Heather, and then we've taken like what seems like a year off, but we're back in the so-called studio. It's not really a studio. <laughs> no. <laughs> that, that's why our audio sounds kind of hollow sometimes. We are in a cold, a cold and whitewashed room. Yeah, we don't have a closet we can dedicate to it. I think that's, I've heard that's the best when you're on a budget is to like hole up in the closet, but... But then what would we do with all the clothes in the closet? Right. Well, that's the thing. I think it's, I think it's kind of absorbs some of the sound. I think that's like part of it. Yeah, but then what would we do with our stale, sterile room? Right, yeah. You know, it would go to waste. Anyways, I sound a little gravelly because I'm getting over a cold or something. I don't sound great because I'm getting the cold. Yeah, so I luckily gave it to Zilla. So Thanks. it's your turn now. Thank you. I passed the torch and it's your turn. Appreciate it. Scales. You've uh, you've uh, seen a few scales in the last few days as we we're preparing for this episode. Yeah, they're really weird and and yeah, they're weird little dudes. They're and they're often pretty inconspicuous. They're very small. Let's say that to start. They're they are very small. They're very little and and very kind of stuck on plants. I think it might be something that I would uh, if I didn't know it was a bug, I might think that it was some kind of plant thing yeah they could they you know they can kind of just kind of blend into the bark or the leaves and not really look like anything mm-hmm. but uh they can all they can also be a pest and sort of a, a problem for plants and we're gonna get we're gonna get into that today in our episode but we'll start with uh, the classification of scales they are an insect so that's class insecta they're in the order hemiptera so your true bugs they're in the infraorder Cocomorpha, and then they're in the superfamily Cocoidea. There are different scales of different families within this superfamily, and this superfamily also includes mealybugs, which I might mention a little bit today, but I'm more focusing on scales. The superfamily is closely related to aphids and whiteflies, another important economic pest, also within Hemiptera. It's interesting that we have uh, kind of this, this these large groups of pests within Hemiptera, uh, all pretty closely related. So I, I imagine there was some divergent evolution that kind of that they branched off from each other. I have no sort of evidence to support <laughs> that, but that's just kind of what I imagine in my head. There's estimated uh, 8,000 different species of scales worldwide, and there's 45 families within this superfamily, which is pretty significant considering this is a, a superfamily within Hemiptera. That's not super uncommon for like your larger orders like beetles and, and uh, wasps and your lepidopterans, your butterflies and your flies, but um, Hemiptera is not an entirely massive group compared to those but this super family cocoidea uh, is is pretty significant within hemiptera 
Uh, I already mentioned that they're closely related to aphids and whiteflies, and we're going to be focusing more on two specific families within Cocoidea, and that is your armored scales, Diaspididae, and soft scales, uh, Cocoidea. Just a little hint for people who don't know like nomenclature, at, at especially like insect taxonomy and nomenclature. If you're talking at the family level, the, the Latin word is always going to end in A-E. So that's a little hint. If you're, if you're looking at a Latin word, like a Latin name for insects, if it ends in A-D, it is always family. It is huh. always at the family level. So the soft scales at the family level is uh, Cocodiae. So that ends in A-E, where the superfamily ends in E-A. So I might pronounce those kind of similarly, but they are there is a distinct difference in how they're spelled. I'm just not good at pronouncing things. It's a good thing you're you know, doing a podcast. I know. Good thing I'm in a podcast, uh, but I will never claim to be an insect taxonomist, so I'm off the hook. I'm more of an uh, insect ecologist. So uh, the description of scales... They have the name for a reason, and I think you mentioned a good way to kind of describe them um, and how their name get, you know, how they get that name. Is it because they kind of look like the scales on a fish? Yeah, they kind of look like fish scales or like reptile scales. Mm -hmm. They're just kind of like this like lump that... And they kind of bunch up together, right? Yeah, they'll bunch up together. So if you have kind of like a, um, I'm going to use air quotes here, a colony of them, they're not really colonial, unlike the British. (laughs) They they group together. Uh, It's not like they're they're not social insects, but they will kind of, uh, you know, group together on plants. And, you know, if they're kind of like close to each other or overlapping, they do kind of look like scales on a fish. You know, not musical scales. Another, you know, don't get confused with that. What about the scales of justice? Oh, hmm. Mm. (laughs) They're blind like the scales of justice. They are blind like the scales of justice. Yeah, the, you know, Lady Justice is always wearing a blindfold, Mm -hmm. so I never understood that, but I'm not Greek. The adult females are this, so I mentioned the adult females are like this raised bump on branches and leaves of plants. The, the females have this domed covering over the top of them that is made of wax, uh, melanin, and sometimes like their exoskeleton as they molt. And the adult females are usually legless, uh, and they're sometimes without antenna, and they're eyeless. Is that maybe why they all kind of group together, just because they can't get away from each other? That, that definitely is part, I would say, is part of it. And also, like, when they hatch... Um, yeah, so you mentioned they can't really, they can't disperse very well because when they hatch, they uh, the females don't have wings and so they just kind of crawl around and, and also they might just be accumulating on a plant that is like attractive or, sure. uh, you, know, you know, is a good host for them. So it might just be like, oh, this is good. So we're all going to kind of be here. So scales have a piercing sucking mouth part like all hemipterans. And this comes into play when they feed. And I'm going to, I will touch more on the feeding when we get into more of the biology of them. We'll kind of continue with the description of them. Uh, Adult males are mobile and they have legs and sometimes wings to help them disperse. So they're a little, uh, there's a lot of sexual dimorphism between the males and females within scales. 
we also saw this within uh, Strepsiptera, uh, our twisted wing parasites. But the uh, the adult males uh, also kind of like Strepsiptera. Their whole purpose is just to mate with the females. They don't really feed. They don't really do anything else. That is their one purpose. All right. Um, so they better be good at it. The waxy covering on scales is different species to species and even different within species depending on the environmental conditions. So it's not like a one scale fits all sort of thing. The covering can help be diagnostic to get to like a species level when you're IDing them, but you'd expect to see variation within the, the covering. It's, it's, not, it's not clear cut every time. And, and that especially goes when we're comparing armored scales and soft scales. So these are kind of the two families we're going to be, I, I mentioned that we're going to be covering. Armored scales, again, are in the family uh, Diaspitidae. Soft scales are in the family Cocodiae. Hard scales, they generally have one to three generations a year. So they're a little more prolific in, the, in like their turnover time compared to soft scales. Hard scales don't produce honeydew when they feed. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about, a little more specifically about their feeding in a little bit. Uh, but just keep in mind that hard scales or AKA armored scales typically don't produce honeydew. They usually overwinter as eggs underneath the body of a dead female. So a female will lay the eggs. She'll be underneath that covering and she'll lay the eggs underneath there and they'll overwinter like that. Um, they uh, generally appear circular to round in shape. The, I mean, like the covering is generally circular to round in shape. So within hard scales, the crawlers are less active compared to soft scales. Crawler is the first larval stage after they hatch. And that's going to be the crawler, this term, that and that stage is going to be important later on when we talk about management. Compared to soft scales, hard hard scales or armored scales crawlers are less active and after the crawler stage they usually stay put where in soft scales there might be a few molts afterwards where they might move around uh, a little more and that covering that hard scales produce over top of them that is separate from their actual body so they, it's like the, a wax that they secrete over top of them. So they kind of build a dome. Soft scales, if you're playing at home, they're going to be kind of opposite of what I said about hard scales. They generally have one generation per year. They produce honeydew. They typically overwinter as immature fertilized females. So they're basically ready to lay eggs once they, once they hatch in the springtime. They appear convex in shape or resemble a helmet, so they're usually a little more bulbous than, than armored scales. They have highly active crawlers, and their waxy cover stays attached to their body. They're like a turtle. They can't take oh, their okay. shell off. And the hard scales are like a pearl. And this... Covering is important for both these groups because it protects that insect against desiccation, well, which is like drying out, losing all your, your internal uh, water. It provides shelters for the eggs and is a form of crypsis. 
just to quickly go through like the general life cycle, um, and this is general, like very general. There's a lot of variation in this between, you know, between the groups and within the groups, but females are wingless. They generally don't move as adults. Mature males have wings and are mobile, but they're rarely seen because they're so small, like even smaller than the females, and the small the females are usually pretty small. Hard scales generally lay their eggs underneath the waxy cover, while some soft scales lay like a cushiony egg sac behind, like off their back end, uh, but it's like still attached to the mother. Mature females die after laying eggs. When the eggs hatch, the first instars are called crawlers, which I kind of mentioned earlier. It's like a zombie name. Yeah. It's like what... Someone who doesn't want to call them zombies in a movie would call. This is kind of a deep cut from my generation, but uh, when like playing Call of Duty Zombies, you, if you threw a grenade and like blew the zombies' legs off, it, it, you'd call them crawlers, and they'd just kind of ah. crawl around on the ground. And then you could go to like the mystery box without the next level starting. Um, so it like gave you time to like get resources and stuff like that. A little a little blast from my generation's past. I don't know if you ever played Call of Duty. Or I never really, no. You played little, like an abacus. I played, and I played like, like a little bit of Warzone during the like pandemic lockdown because, I don't know, I was bored. Yeah. <laughs> but but I was, I'm not very good at it. Call of, Call of Duty is like, those guys do nothing else. <laughs> They're professionals as some might say. They're professionals, yeah. We played Nintendo with... 16 bits. <laughs> <laughs> the crawlers are fairly active and move around to find a good place to settle on the plant that they're on. Um, as they grow, they develop their waxy shell and lose, and some species lose their legs, antenna. So this is all kind of stuff that we already mentioned, and we had kind of, we had talked before this about not going into too much detail about the biology. One, it can be very thick, Right, there's a lot. There, there, there's a lot to it's, kind of. It's a little dry. Yes. Like when you took it, when you took me through it before we started recording, it just it's just a little dry. It's a little dry. We don't really have time for that in in one episode, and I don't really want people to sit around and listen to three episodes of the biology of scales. So. I guess um, if you want that, let us know. Yeah, if you but, if you want that, we'll do a special deep dive into scale biology but but we're keeping it light this time we're keeping it light we're going to kind of get into the important bits important bits to humans and growers and and people like horticulturalists and how they attack plants and soft scales and armored scales do it in different ways Soft scales, so both these insects have that piercing sucking mouth part that I was talking about. It's called a stylet, but you can think of it as a straw, a McDonald's straw. Okay. And if I have a straw and it reaches across the room. I don't know what you're referencing. All right, no <laughs> <laughs> Uncultured swine, it's fine. <laughs> a quick, a quick si- side dive. So when I took forest, uh, forest ecology at ESF, my forest ecology professor said that if we were able to suck water from a straw up to the third story of um, Bray Hall, where our lecture was, we would we would automatically get an A in the class because he was like, you know, plants can do that. They can move water up these tiny tubes, you know, 
hundreds of feet in the air. Can you suck water up a straw from the up three up three stories? And we knew, you know, it, this is not possible to humans. Uh, it would be hard <laughs> to find a straw long enough. We would have one. we would have to modify some straws to make that work, but no one attempted it, and it, we knew it was in in our best interest not to waste our time. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, soft scales have this piercing, sucking mouth part called a stylet. Soft scales can get their piercing, sucking mouth part directly into the vascular system of the the plant, so they're able to get a lot more food than they can digest. Uh, it's like getting a needle into like a vein. You know, you're just gonna get a lot of blood from that. And so, and because they receive so much food and they can't use it all that's why they excrete honeydew just a little yeah what's honeydew so honeydew is a waste product that a lot of hemipterans excrete when they when they suck up plant nutrients basically and it's it's like undied it's basically sugary water it, it is like excreted out of their butt um, but it is, it's, it's, it's sugary it's water. Scientific term. Yeah, I, that is not the scientific term, but, uh, we're going to go with it. And, uh, a lot of, it's just like sugary overflow. Yeah. It's sugary yeah. overflow. They take out what sugar that they can process and then the rest, they just get rid of. They, right. they can't use it. Armored scales, on the other hand, they have a, they as well have a piercing sucking mouth part. But they stab each cell individually of the plant, and they suck out the vacuole of the cell. The vacuole is where um, nutrients are stored in plant cells, and so they have to individually like stab each cell with their with their stylet. And since they take up far less food than soft scales, they don't produce honeydew. They also need a longer stylet because if you think about it, they're when they're adult females, they're not moving. They're stationary. And you so they have to have a long stylet to be able to move it around and reach enough food basically in this stationary spot. Since they're not like going right into the vascular tissue. So they actually have a longer stylet than soft scales. And it's just something cool, not going into too much detail about it, but if you think how imp impressive it is that these tiny insects get their little stylet through tree bark and like wood, if you look- Sturdy things. Sturdy things for like a very small creature, you know, they, they, they have to, they have to have some tricks up their sl sleeve. Hmm. And one of the things is their stylet is kind of saw-like and they almost kind of move the stylet back and forth. So they take that stylet and kind of use it like a saw to be able to saw their way in through the bark and through the wood and into the cells. So what's the problem with scales? Why are we talking about them? Why are we talking well, about scales? Well, they are a pest. But it doesn't seem like they do that much damage to a plant, really. They, One cell at a time. They, not usually. And that's kind of the caveat here. Scales on their own are usually not a health problem for plant. Trees can withstand infestations of scales, and they're usually kept at 
you know, reasonable numbers. There's a lot of natural predators uh, out in the ecosystem that eat scales and control their numbers. Sure, they're probably all they do is sit there, right? <laughs> they don't have legs. Yeah, they don't have legs. Sense you coming, so they're probably great little, great little leaf snacks. Exactly. You know, they they have that waxy coating, so that's kind of like their only defense and and being camouflaged. When you have scale infestations, there's usually something going on, something else going on. Scales tend to target trees and other landscape plants that are already stressed or dying. And so if you have a heavy infestation of scales, it's usually, you should look at maybe some other reasons as to why this is happening. That being said, you know, if you have scales on a, on a, landscape plant or or a landscape tree that um, is already stressed or dying and you have a soft scale where you have high amounts of like honeydew being produced that can cause further problems because it attracts sooty mold sooty mold will then be attracted to the honeydew and start colonizing oh because mold loves sugar water yeah mold loves sugar water and then you get all this black sooty mold all over the branches and leaves and that can uh you know restrict the amount of light the leaves are getting and only further weaken the tree can scales build up enough to restrict light yeah scales can do that and also they can you know i say they usually attack trees that are already unhealthy you know even on like a fairly healthy tree they can cause a like severe dieback on branches if you get enough colonizing of a branch or twigs you know they can suck so much material out of these branches and twigs that you can get dieback and there have been cases especially with like already weakened trees where like you have a large infestation of scales and they finally kill the plant me personally, I would never consider treating for scales. Um, like scales are usually a cosmetic issue, and like on trees or on trees in... and plants. And I don't have, I don't really have a garden, so that's not a problem. But if I had like ornaments, we grew one sad pumpkin this year. <laughs> but our sunflowers were pretty good, and yeah. the basil was really good, the basil and the dill, hard. yeah. And uh, the peppers actually. Yeah. No, honestly, everything in our in our uh, vegetable garden everything did well. Except the pumpkins, though, <laughs> man. I, me personally, I don't really consider uh, cosmetic issues for plants. They don't really bother me. Scales are usually just a cosmetic issue, unless there's other problems going on with the tree. However, there are people out there that do value cosmetic. Um, you know, what a tree looks like or what mm-hmm. uh, plants look like. That's rightfully their own business. Well, and there's, there are plants out there that are, like, grown for cosmetic, you know, yeah. they're cute little plants, right? Yeah, and if you... necessarily want... Exactly, and if you're, like, the manager of a botanical garden, like, that, those, that's important to you. It's the yeah. plants that bring, that bring people in and bring you money. So I understand it. I personally would never be an advocate for treating for scales, but I understand the people out there that are. However, some advice if you're someone that wants to treat for scales, there's a few ways you can do this. There's contact insecticides that you would just spray. Those are going to be most effective when the scale is in its crawler phase. So right after it hatches from the egg, You have this crawler phase and it doesn't have its waxy coating. That's when they're going to be most vulnerable when if you're spraying like a contact insecticide that you just an aerial spray. 
make sure you're applying that when the crawler is or when the scale is in its crawler stage. Spraying adults is usually ineffective because of that waxy covering, but you can do an injection of a systemic pesticide. So how that works is you inject the pesticide into the vascular system of the plant and it uptakes it and when the crawler feeds or when the scale feeds on the plant, it basically ingests this so it's just like flea treatment yeah it's like a flea it just like plays with the toxicity a little bit exactly so you're you're not enough to hurt the plant ideally but enough to make the bugs die exactly so phyto can have a little bit of permethrin in his skin and the the flea can't stand it the the problem though with injection of systemic pesticides is it's usually more costly than uh, like just an over the counter. Is that literally like an injection, or does it get sprayed like on the? Yeah, plant? so yeah, there there's a few ways you, you can put it into the ground and the plant will uptake it. But you can also like there's literally like these tubes that you put in the tree and inject it into those tubes. There's a few different kinds out there, uh, but those usually require a pesticide applicator's license. So you need to hire someone. You couldn't go to Lowe's and buy an inge- a systemic pe- pesticide like that. It's probably a lot of math to get the proportions. Right. Yeah, a lot of math and just like, you know, there's a lot of safety concerns. Mm-hmm. Kind of a basic approach you can take when you're dealing with scales is prune back branches that are heavily infested. So if you have a branch that's heavily infested, prune that branch off or that twig or whatever and get rid of it. Don't like. I know. I was gonna say, what do you do with the branch? Then? Yeah, burn, you burn it or, it or like get it elsewhere. Get it away from your plant. That's not gonna take care of every single scale because, like, you basically have to prune the whole plant back. There's gonna be some remaining, but you can help take that stress off. You know, if you have a lot on like a certain branch, get rid of the branch, and then that way you're not. They're not gonna be reproducing next year and having more babies. Um, so you kind of knock back, you spread, slow the spread, as some people might say. <laughs> and then also, you know, just an overall like good approach for <laughs> preventing disease and like insect outbreaks on plants is promote healthy plants. So make sure your plant is getting enough water. It's not getting overwatered. And make sure you're... That's why I always kill plants. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you need all the water. All I know about taking plants is that plants need water. Yeah. And And I overdo it and they die. And too much water is just as bad as not Mm -hmm. enough water. Um, And the same thing goes with fertilizing. Fertilizing your plants is good. Under fertilizing is is better than over fertilizing. Make sure you read your labels because... there's labels on fertilizers for a reason. Just don't think more is not better. Um, You can often cause damage on your plants if you over fertilize and like other ecological side effects. So make sure you're fertilizing responsibly. Know if you have a scale infestation, knowing the species is really important and can help help identify its life cycle and when it's going to be a crawler. If you want to spray your, uh, you know, your contact insecticide, you're going to need to know when they're going to be crawlers. And you can often do that by like looking and scouting, but it helps if you know, if you know when to expect like what time of the year this, this species is, is in its crawler phase. So just knowing the biology of your insects is important. 
I'm not saying insect identification is easy in any sense, but a lot of the pest species are pretty common, um, and there's a lot of resources out, out there in extension programs. You know, so Cornell's Cooperative Extension. If you're in a different state, each state has a land grant extension. People are there to help. So speaking of species, uh, I wanted to just cover a few notable species, just a few. One is like, I think is interesting because of its impact in New York. And the other uh, three are just common ones that you might see in the garden. I'll, I'll go over them uh, quickly. So beach scale is neither a hard scale or soft scale. So we're going to get a, we're going to get away from the armored scale and soft scale real quick for just a second. The Latin name is uh, Cryptococcus fagisuga. It was an, it's an introduced species. It was introduced into the eastern United States between 1850 and 1900. And a cool thing about it, I guess it's cool. Its population all consists of only females that reproduce by parthenogenesis. I think that's cool. So they just make clones of themselves. They don't need no man. They don't need no man. They're very host specific and. If you know a little bit about Latin names, uh, Fagisuga, so Faggy is uh, related to the beach genus, so their species that they reside on are beech trees, so Fagus grandifolia, the American beech, and Fagus sylvatica, the European beech. And so, so we had beech trees before the... The this insect was introduced. Yes. Yep. And I don't know where where this was introduced from, but the problem is, so heavily infested trees are covered with these white masses on the trunk, and like I'm talking like covered in this like really gross waxy white just like substance that you mm. if if you're like a forester and you're like putting a loggers tape around it like tree hugging you you get it all over the front of you gross and this scale transmits a fungus called neonectria faginata and that causes beech bark disease which cannot be controlled and it is always fatal uh, when the tree gets it. So beech trees, especially our American beech in the eastern United States, is getting hammered hard by uh, beech bark disease, which is transmitted by a scale. The scale isn't the one that actually kills the tree. It's a ba- It's a fungus. Ride along. Yep, it's a ride along. So the next species is cottony maple scale, Pulvinaria innumerabilis. 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 Uh, soft scale. They're characterized by their white cottony ovisacs. It's like this large, almost like this kind of like miniature cotton ball um, on the tree. Um, and that's actually the ovisac that contains the eggs for next year. They're very large and conspicuous. Like the common name suggests, their favorite host is maples, uh, specifically soft maples. They'll attack a few other hosts, but maples is the main target. They only have one generation per year, and uh, they usually overwinter as a immature female. And she matures quickly in the spring, lays up, uh, lays you know a thousand eggs, and they and they go to town. They're usually not. Fatal, but they can cause dieback in branches and all that honeydew that they can secrete. You can get a lot of black sooty mold on your tree. So 
they can be a little uh, unsightly. I'm actually going to sk skip the, the next species, cottony maple leaf scale. It's pretty similar to cottony maple scale, but it more resides on the leaves of maples. Okay. And then the last one, which is a, a pretty important one economically because it um, uh, attacks a pretty important economic landscape plant, is the magnolia scale. Neocanium cornoparvium. I think that's as best as I'm going to do on that one. It is the largest scale found in the uh, in the U.S. It is mainly on magnolias. So like largest, like physically the largest yeah, like, bug, or there's the most of them? Like physically the largest. Okay. There's so many landscape magnolias, don't even ask me to start spouting off the different magnolias. They produce a lot of honeydew, and that causes a lot of blackening on the branches, so... This is important for a, a, a plant that's mainly planted in the landscape forest aesthetics. So it's not something that you want on your beautiful saucer magnolia that your grandmother planted when she was 20. And <laughs> now you have mag these giant magnolia scales all over it and all this sooty mold. So that's another one to kind of keep, keep in the back of your mind, especially if you have magnolias. That kind of covers why some people might care about scales. I might have a different reason as to why I care about scales. And it's economics, sort of. <laughs> it is sort of economics. I did kind of fall into this uh, unexpectedly. I'm doing my master's research with scale insects. I'm in a, a lab at the University of Kentucky. Uh, Dr. Caleb Wilson's my major professor. And we're studying urban trees infested with scales. A lot of what we just talked about plays into the importance of my research. Because earlier I said, if, if we could pull back the tape where I said, I don't really care about aesthetics, I would never think about treating <laughs> about scales. And here we are, I'm about to do some research uh, as to why or when we should treat for scales. On trees. On trees specifically. Um, and specifically urban trees because... They've got kind of a hard life, don't they? they in an urban environment? They do have a pretty hard life and that's usually why they have bad infestations. So if you think about an urban environment, what do you think about? I mean, not trees. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what are some of your non-tree things that you think about? Um, I think about Portlandia and skateboarding. God, I lived in San Francisco for so long, the first thing that comes to my mind is human poop. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... San Francisco gets a bad name for that, and, but, and I haven't lived there in a long time. Maybe it's better. Maybe it's worse. All right, scenario. Say you're a plant in urban environment. What do you think are some of the things that are going to be on your mind? I mean, I think about trees like pushing up, like the roots pushing up uh, asphalt and yep. sidewalks and things. Yep, so you have pretty impermeable spots and you have a lot of structures you might have to go through. Yep, um, and, and probably some air pollution to deal with. Air pollution. Maybe not consistent sunlight if you're planted around tall buildings. Yep, yeah. 
Anything else you're, th- you're kind of thinking of? Lovers carving their initials in your bark. <laughs> yeah, don't. Tender do bark. not do that. Please do not do that. That is vandalism and that tree has rights. No one would, you wouldn't want someone to come in with a knife and carve a heart on your chest. And I mean, that's arguably what I do to people for a living. But... That is true. <laughs> but they're doing it willingly. But with consent. Yes. That tree did not give you yeah. consent. Um, some other things. Uh, cities. They're usually hot. You got all that pavement. The urban uh, urban heat island is what some people might call that. If you're in kind of a northern uh, state, salt, lots of road salt. And yeah, you kind of touched it. The soils are usually just crappy. You know, you got asphalt on compacted soil that never gets rain because it's asphalt on top it's it's a pretty hard life water drainage is probably weird no one and i doubt you're anyone's really (laughs) taking care of you if you're an urban tree yeah unless you're just like a a maintenance worker putting on uh, mulch volcanoes around the base of the tree also don't do that stop mulch volcanoing plants it's wrong (laughs) so yeah this is uh, a tough environment and if anything we learn from this podcast is scales love plants in a tough environment oh right because they're they're already weak they're already weak what my research is going into is is trying to find a balance between letting scales do their thing and attract maybe beneficial predators and seeing, you know, to what extent trees can handle scales and at what point you're, you're going to need to treat the, you know, treat for these insects. So you're kind of looking for like the thresholds of when is appropriate to treat. Exactly. Looking for, you know, those thresholds that are important for, uh, especially like, um, companies that are maintaining properties and stuff like that. Like you don't want to be wasting money on pesticides if you don't have to. Sure. If the scale population will control itself with via the world around it and predators and, and natural selection and all that Darwinism, you don't want to waste your money on pesticides. Right. You you got other but things. It's probably cheaper to treat occasionally than it is to replace a whole tree. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you if you look at the cost of planting trees and and uh, and all the labor involved with that, it is cheaper to maintain trees sometimes than co- you know completely start from fresh. I actually have a little uh, snippet from the city of Lexington had, had all this uh, tree research done and like surveyed the entire city of their, their tree canopy and all the stuff like this. But just to kind of get an idea of like how expensive trees are to maintain or replace in a, a city. If you were to increase the urban tree canopy within Lexington by 2%, that would cost $23.7 million. So I know we're talking about a lot of trees here, but like if you were to, you know, not only not only like replace the dead trees, but like increase the 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 amount of coverage by two percent, that that's you're talking about twenty three million dollars. I feel I, I I wish that I I've never been to Lexington, so I don't know I don't know what the tree situation looks like there now, but I feel like in general. 
trees are great in urban, in urban environments for urban environments, right? Like they help keep the asphalt cooler. They help with runoff. There's, yeah, there's a lot there's of... There's all kinds of benefits to having trees in a city center. And, and Lexington... It's like emotional. It's like nice to see trees. Yeah, you know? people... people want to see trees trees are nice there's a you know people love the aesthetics of trees and there's something very cultural around like preserving trees Mm -hmm. and and wanting wanting to see them outside your window and the time and the city of lexington you know to give them credit where credit's due they recognize that as well part of the reason why they did all this surveying and like getting an idea of what the city was like was to set goals to increase the the tree canopy over time, you know. But in order to do that, they needed to see where it needed to be increased and and what levels they were at, and so they knew where the focus areas were. Man, F one just ripped out every tree in Las Vegas to <laughs> to put in uh, <laughs> like an F one course. <laughs> well, they have money, so. Yeah. Well, I, don't, I mean, <laughs> trees can... in Las Vegas. Yeah, I grew up in the desert and like really my only experience with trees is like trees that cities planted. Because, oh, yeah. So they're, probably, yeah, they're not it, even supposed to be there they, in the first yeah, place. Yeah, because people like moved to the desert from the East Coast or places with trees and they go, gosh, I miss trees. And they, they plant these like saddle trees. I'm looking at you. Nice, I'm but... looking at you, Phoenix, Arizona. You aren't supposed to be there. I mean, Vegas really, truly <laughs> should not exist. I think I think Phoenix at least has, like, a natural water table. Like, Palm Springs, there's not a lot of surface water, but there's, like, water underground. But Vegas is just, like, there's nothing there. It's completely artificial. It's all just rerouting the, the Colorado River. So... But, yeah, in anyway. so <laughs> That little side tangent about <laughs> cities in the desert... And a little history about why I don't know anything about trees. <laughs> but I, in general, for my research, I would all, I'm would i also trying to look at the natural predators surrounding scales. Are there some unforeseen benefits of scales and like the natural predators that they bring in? Is that helping with maybe other pest species? I, I also kind of want to look into like j- just the tree... F- uh, the size of the tree is that having a factor on scales and, and, and things like that. This is all kind of in the early works of a, of a master's thesis, so I haven't gone into it deeply, but I've had to learn a lot about scales in the last month. I've been reading incessantly. I think that's the right word, but I think so. Yeah, I hope you. I hope you enjoyed. Incessantly. I hope you enjoyed our little quick dive into scales. This is. It's still a longerish episode, and I we barely scratched the surface of the biology of scales. So uh, consider yourselves lucky we spared you that. <laughs> Our next episode is kind of another scale episode. We're gonna be scale adjacent. Scale adjacent. Um, we're gonna be talking about the cochineal insects, which are in this super family with scales. Um, and we're going to kind of be doing a little book review of the book is called The Perfect Red by Amy Butler Greenfield. I'm about a quarter of a way through it. And I, I really I'm having a great time reading this book because I like I'm a big fan of like history and people and cultural stuff. And it's 
that's great. Yeah, it's about insects, though. So. Yeah, it's it's right up all those alleys. If you don't really know anything about the history of the color red, it's very fascinating, and you should maybe go check into it a little bit. Yeah. It's it was not easy for it's something that I easily took you know take for granted, like how we have red pigment and easily. Yeah, it really wasn't until a, like the industrial revolution that that red got easy to to make synthetically same with blue blue is also pretty tricky but that's why those impressionist painters paint with so much color because it's it was like available for the first time like seriously yeah and red's a tricky pigment like it it fade it's tricky in tattooing because it's kind of hard to get in your skin but it's also the hardest to remove with lasers like if you i mean red cars fade faster red paint fades faster it's it's a it's a tricky pigment so i'm really enjoying this book i can't wait to wait to talk about it next week yeah we'll have a little book review it'll be fun and then who knows what we'll do after that That concludes our episode for today. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please leave us a review uh, and share it with your friends. We are poor college students, so we (laughs) don't pay to advertise our podcast, nor do we have the funds to pay for to advertise for our podcast, everything we do in-house. So word of mouth is great. It gets our podcast out there and gives me the validation of feeling like I'm doing something successful. But I'm not. I'm actually not doing it for the views. I'm I'm doing it because I enjoy talking about insects, and I have a microphone. So, <laughs> and you're like a white guy <laughs> in his twenties. So it's just the part of your natural life cycle to start a podcast yeah. at this stage of your life. I'm gonna start wearing Carhartt beanies, <laughs> and I'll fit right in at uh, at the art store. Uh. If you have any questions or suggestions for future episodes feel free to contact me i'm at bdkn223 at uky.edu thank you for listening and remember to stay spineless And they have, sorry, the cat just jumped up on the desk. I'll probably edit this out later, but. Hello, cat. (laughs) He was having such a good nap in here. And then we, and then we came in and interrupted him. And and so, uh, kind of the next part is like, why do we care about. (laughs) God, we have such dramatic pets today. Why, why are we even making a podcast about scales? I don't even know why we talk about any bugs until you tell me, so...